Go ahead and turn your Bibles. That's Exodus 22. You're only going to be in one other space this morning, so go ahead and put your tassel. Because when we get there and we're going to have some correlating thoughts constantly between God and the Israelites and then David and his son Solomon and then the Lord and you and I, we're going to constantly kind of weave our way through all of those examples. And so when we go there, I want you to be ready. So go ahead and put your tassel in 1 Kings chapter 2 and turn your your Bible to Exodus 22. And so if you're a visitor and this is the first time coming, we've been here in Exodus for about seven months now. We started January 1. God is blessed. We're in the book of the covenant. And so we have a handful of verses to read And then we're going to pray. Haven, I'm going to have you pray for our service, brother, so get your mind right. So if you're a note taker, um, this morning is a call to discipleship. And when I say discipleship, I mean faithfully walking with others, no matter if you are male or female, if you are a teacher, if you are young or old, does not matter who you are. We are all called to disciple others and to be discipled. And so we see this in a earthly realm as I walk with my children, as I walk with you, as mamas walk with daughters and friends and neighbors. But we are all fall fall under the umbrella of being discipled by God's truth and his word. So no matter if you are a daughter, a son, a father, a grandparent, this is not a parenting message. We are all children in some form or fashion. And so it applies to all of us. So if you are a note taker, what is an active father? So look at Exodus 22, verses 1 through 19. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies... There shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. But if he shall make full restitution, if, if he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is certainly found alive, if the thief is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is in an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall restore him double. But if a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed and let loose his animals... And if it feeds in another man's field, if he makes restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard, but if a man breaks out and catches in thorns so that it is stacked grain, staining grain, or in the field is consumed, he who has kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep, And it is stolen out of the man's house. If the thief is found, he shall pay double, church. But if the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hands in his neighbor's goods. For if any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox or a donkey or a sheep or clothing, or of any kind of lost item which another claims to be his, right? Lost and found. Then the cause of both parties shall come before the judges. And whomever the judge condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. 
But if a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or an animal to keep, and it dies, is hurt or driven away, no one seeing it, then an oath before the Lord shall be between them both and them only, that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and that the owner shall accept full responsibility, and he shall now make it good. But if, verse 12, stay with me, but if, in fact, it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner of it. If it is torn to pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as evidence, and he shall make it good with what was torn. He shall make things right, church, right? And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor, and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. If, it owner, if, if its owner was with it, he shall not make it good. If it was hired, it came for its hire. Almost done. Follow me 16 through 19. If a man entices a virgin, one who has not slept, right? If a woman, if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. Remember this from week one. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. Verse 20, highlight it. We're going to come back. He who sacrifices any good except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Let's bow our heads. Amen. Amen. You can just hold it. If you want to amen me, brother, from your seat with that mic, you can, you can be the loudest guy. You and Michael can fight for that title. A call to discipleship. What does maturity and freedom look like? And so I went to a conference um, a few months ago, my wife and I did, in Texas. And so we go to this conference, it's called the Lead Conference, it's for pastors and pastors' wives and other leaders within the church, and it was a blessing to us. And there was one thing that I've shared with our leaders that really stood out and really stuck to me, and I pray I don't ever forget it. One of the speakers and teachers taught on this idea of the failure of the church to mature its people. And so he simply said, in the church... And then also in the home, and then also in our individual lives, walking with others, what we usually do in the Christian life is this. We'll go, David Evans, you need to be saved, and now you need to go make sure others are saved, and that's the Christian life, the two bookends. Be saved, save others, right? He said, but however, the majority of someone's life is really that space in the middle, which could be 10, 15, 20, 40, 50, 60 years. And the church usually never speaks on that. And that space in the middle is maturity. When one is saved, they have placed their faith and their trust. I have a belief. 
I have a need. I have a want. I have heard the gospel. I am saved by grace. And we, got, we died to, be, to, go, to go to glory. We see other people saved. That space in the middle of growing in sanctification is something that is often missed. And what we call that is discipleship. A call to walk with one another for me and my children, for you and your neighbor, for co-workers, for mama and daughters to walk teaching after salvation. This is what the Christian life looks like. This is what my brother Greg and his grandson Austin spoke about. Teaching your children how to live. In so many different ways, that is the book of the covenant. That is the book of the covenant. God walking with his people, his children. This is how you mature after salvation. So as we continue to study through this book of the covenant, there's something that I'm probably going to repeat every single week. And that is this. We have the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are a handful of verses. God's bird's eye view of keeping God first, loving your neighbor. And then what the book of the covenant is, it is the Ten Commandments that flood your everyday life that consists of many chapters, right? And so what we see in the book of the covenant, something that stands out, is that God is the perfect father and parent and that he cares about everything. If you're a note taker, man, write this down. It's a it's a literally, it's David said it and as, he, as he led us in worship about calling out in the name of Jesus. God, our Father, and Jesus, his Son, our Creator, is interested and invested in everything. Hear that. Write it down. Right above Exodus 22. There is nothing in your life That God is not interested or invested in. He cares about everything. And so as I read that and God placed this on my heart this week, I I started thinking about parenting myself. And and I find myself constantly looking at my kids and they'll come to me. And you know what I'll say sometimes? What do you think? You ever say that? What do you think? Or I'll say, hey, figure it out. And listen, there's some worldly wisdom there. I'm saying, hey, listen, I can't walk hand in hand with you forever. Think through, problem solve. That's good parenting in a way. But there's many times I'll look at my kids and they'll come to me for discipleship in ways. What do I do? And I'll go, hey, figure it out. Figure it out. There's not one verse in the Bible where God says, figure it out. There's nothing. Do you know why? Because God is never too tired for you. He's never had such a bad day at work where he needs alone time. He never needs personal time. He's never frustrated or exaggerated or he's never exhausted with you. Do you ever come, your kids ever come to you and you speak to them? Not now. Give me a minute. What did I say? God never speaks in such a way. He's never exhausted with how many times you come to him. You could come to him every second of every hour of every minute of every day. And God will show perfect intentionality, investment, and interested in your life. God cares about everything. That's what we see in the book of the covenant. And so as you read this, and as I read 19 verses or 20 verses, and you're like, Hunter, 
That's a lot. All I heard was kill sorceress. That's all I heard, right? That's all I heard. It's a lot. You know why it's a lot? Because God cares a lot. There's nothing in your life that God is not interested in or invested in. Praise God. Do you remember that that sermon a few weeks ago in the Ten Commandments that thou shalt not covet? Do you remember that one? And what we taught on is that, co- that, that commandment is really a call to contentment. That you shall not desire or covet your neighbor's wife or his stuff or who he is or his gifting or his position. Like be content with how God made you. Do you remember that message? Well, I talked to my, my brother and I call his name because y'all, most of y'all know him, very respected in this community. And one of my greatest friends on earth is Lee Butler. And he's a friend of the family here. And Lee calls me and I talk to him basically every day in some form or fashion. And Lee watches and listens to the sermon every Sunday night. And if Stoney, for some reason, takes a longer nap or doesn't get it on there, Lee will text me and go, hey, where is the message? He listens every single week on the day of. And he'll call me and we'll talk about the message. And so on that Sunday, he called me and we're talking about it. And he asked me the question, Hunter, what in your life have you most coveted? And here's the truth, guys, from your pastor, because I I admit to you all the time that, hey, listen, I'm in the front of the line of sinners. I mess up daily and hourly and in all areas. And I am sure there's a lot of things in my life where there's jealousy and envious and, and sometimes I'm blinded to it. I'm sure there's a lot of it. However, to be in, in a coveted um, perspective of this is what I desire that I don't have and I long for and I'm jealous. And like that, that's not something that your pastor obviously struggles at often. I have my God, I have my church, I have my wife, I have my kids, I have my coffee, and that's basically what I need in life. I'm pretty simple-minded. However, it's a good question. In my life, what have I longed for that I didn't have, and there was something? And it was something that I longed for and I didn't have when I was a little bitty kid, and it was something even today as a 40-year-old man, shepherd of the people, husband, of, of four little kids, and there is something today when I experience and I see this, this item that I don't have that I still desire it. And that is an active father. Still today, I'm a father of four, shepherd of many. I'm a grown man. I don't need much. And still today, when I see an active father, even in the life of like an older child, I still covet it. Probably at its height was probably high school and college. Because anything um, that I had or I wanted or that I needed, I had to figure it out on my own. Some of that's your story, right? And so when you have that type of path in life, you're going to have to figure out through some mistakes and some struggles and some wise decisions. You kind of run the gamut. And so everything I had, I had to earn it. And everything that I knew, I had to learn it. 
And so whenever I saw like a grown man, like, like father his kids and like love them and encourage them and take care of them and support them and make sure that he's walking in the right direction, I was always jealous, always. I wanted that more than anything. I just wanted a man to walk beside me and take care of me in some type of way. 40 years old, if I see it today, I still feel it. I coveted, I was jealous, I was envious. I longed for an active father. If you have one, praise God, don't take it for granted. But this is what stood out to me this week. I was talking to Miss Sue Coleman about it. What stood out to me as we read through all of these verses that our brains are barely able to grab onto. As I read through all of these Old Testament laws that 90% of them don't even relate or even required of us. When I read out of all of these verses about scenarios and circumstances that I'm probably never going to face. Do you know what I read? I read texts and situations and truth that I've honestly always longed for. That's what I read. Like this text that I saw coming that I wanted to avoid, this text that I wanted to jump over, this text that I was intimidated because I was thinking, man, I'm going to have to go through this and no one's going to hear it. I'm not going to understand it. It's not going to apply to anybody. What do I do with this scripture? And I read it. And on Monday morning, I wept in my office because what I read is what I always longed for. And that is an active father that cared about everything. And what we see in that truth is that the Bible stands undefeated. In genealogies, in old and new in prophecies, there is not a word in this book that is not literally for your good and living for your good. Everything is amazing and for you. You can go through it all. And so I sat here and I love to talk to Miss Sue and Jacob Partridge and Brad and Greg and Brent and, and like some of these guys who read in advance and they're studying. And I was joking with Brent. He was going through like, man, you got like eight chapters. Where are you going? Like, what do you see? And he's talking about the historical culture and like things that happen here and there and there. What do you see, Hunter? And you know what I said? Man, I see a awesome, loving father. I see what I always wanted what I see is a father walking with his son, talking to him about every aspect of life. There wasn't one thing that he missed. That's what I read. And you hear that and you go, well, praise God, Hunter. That's your story. That's your testimony. That's your mom and daddy issues, right? However, what I believe is even though that is my story and it's personal to me, I believe it's a longing that many of us have had. This idea of parental discipleship. This reality of God walking in all parts of life with us. And so for some of you go, hey, Hunter, I hate it for you, but I had that dad. Not like this, you didn't. Your father wasn't Christ. Your father wasn't your creator. Your as good as your old man was, he's not God. And so I don't care what your background is. 
You didn't have God walking with you hand in hand from day one. So there is a longing for all of mankind who are saved by the grace and blood of Jesus Christ to walk hand in hand with the Lord. We see this. David Wilkins pointed this out when we were at the swimming party. He was, Hunter, you know what I read in the Old Testament in Exodus is kind of what we see in the Sermon on the Mount in um, the New Testament, in the Gospels, when we see Jesus talking about all aspects of life in that one sermon. So if you know anything about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes over everything. He basically preaches a whole revival about this is money and marriage and how you treat people and how you act and all of these things. Can you imagine Can you imagine if I stood up here and said, hey, guys, for the next six hours, I'm going to touch on everything. Like, could you imagine leaving going, man, like he made some good points, but he was all over the place. The reason that Jesus did this is Jesus was not preaching a sermon. He was discipling. There's a difference. This was not a just a simple. This is the preacher preaching. He was walking with those that he calls his. He was evangelizing the gospel and then speaking life into every day. We see the same thing in the old. and We see the same thing in the new. God, his son, Jesus Christ, is committed to walking and maturing his people through discipleship. So three weeks ago. Some of you guys were here. We had an amazing, amazing time on Wednesday night. That's my plug for Wednesday night Bible study. Wednesday night, we had a a Bible study back there in the fellowship hall on what is salvation? What is salvation? And and we taught through all of it. There's been distortions. Um, Salvation today is way more like family, traditional, denominational views versus biblical. And we just taught from the ground up, this is what it means to be saved. And what we did as a church, we said, hey, Jordan, bring all of the youth group. And I want the young people and parents and older people. And we're going to teach this together. And it was a room full and it was awesome. Last Wednesday, a few days ago, we talked about wisdom. We talked about faith. We talked about obedience. We talked about knowledge. What we talked about as a church, as adults, we talked about what comes after salvation. We talked about the maturing process. This is salvation. Are we on the same page? Amen, Brother Hunter. We all get it. Amen, Brother Hunter. Believe, need, want. Now, what comes after godly characteristics that we should pray for and understand. And this is what I want to share with you guys, because this is where I say it is probably all of our story. The consensus was there was an overwhelming reality that after salvation, most people lacked parental and godly discipleship. I asked them, listen to me, I asked a room full of my, my spiritual heroes of the church, raise your hand. And I'm not talking about just moms and dads. I'm talking about neighbors. I'm talking about Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about friends and hunting buddies. I'm talking about all of them. After you were saved, no matter how old you were, did someone stand and walk with you in growing and maturing in wisdom and knowledge and faith and obedience in the overwhelming consensus with not one single hand raised was no. 
There was no mentoring. There was no teaching. There was no walking with. There was no maturing. And so what happens in the church, guys? What happens for you? What happens for me? What happens to our children? What happens to the body? And here's a reality. You take someone who's 40 years old, you were saved at 15, and you are just as unfaithful today as you were at 15. You were saved many years ago, but you have not matured any. You have not grown any. Why? Because you lack the Holy Spirit? No, it's because you've lacked discipleship. You've lacked people walking with you and caring about every aspect of life. You've lacked mentoring. You've lacked maturity. And so we have people who go, man, I've been saved for 50 years and I'm still unwise. I still don't have any knowledge when it comes to the Bible. Do you know how often I have sat with people who have told me I was raised in the church and each and every Sunday, I have no idea the stories that you speak of. And I always think to myself, what have you been hearing? What have you been learning? What have you been taught? We've lacked discipleship. In Hebrews, what does Paul, he looks at the people, he looks at the church and he says, what? At this time in your life, you should be what? Teachers. You should be teachers by now. You should know the word. You should have the knowledge. The knowledge should pour into your wisdom and your faith and your obedience. Is it because you lack the spirit? No, it's because I lack people who love me and care about each and every aspect of my life. I was jealous in ways of the football game on Friday night. Not because we lost. <laughs> I was jealous of the, the perfection in discipleship in that scene. I sat there with my wife and my kids, and as I said, everything's a sermon now. And I sat there with my people from the community, and I looked at every aspect of life, and it all flowed wonderfully. We had the band going and we had the players going. We had water boys of the water boys, young little boys that knew to run out there to get the ball, to hand the water, hand the towel, because one day they were going to play. We had the fans screaming. We had the announcer making the announcements. Everything was beautiful. We had little cheerleaders in the making. Going out there going, hey, listen, I'll pay my money just to act like what I'm going to be one day. It was flawless. Do you know why? Because we cared. And every aspect mattered. And it went off without a hitch. Only if we would have won. And then you look at the church and you look at the family and you look at the friendships that God has given us. And man, if we only looked like Friday nights in a small country town. And you go, well, why don't we? Why don't we look the same? I think if God came back today, if, if the angels looked upon heavens, if aliens stared down at the earth, they would think church was Friday night, not Sunday morning. Why? Why? Because so many of our homes and our lives have lacked all of the verses that we can barely hang on to. 
This is how you live life. This is how you treat women, young boys. This is how you handle your money. This is how you have responsibility. This is how you place the Lord first. If our fathers said, I was interested and invested and intentional with every aspect of my kid's spiritual life, how would this world look differently? The book of the covenant is parental discipleship. I've saved you. You are free. And now I'm committed to walking with you in faith. So many of us have lacked this. It reminds me of a beautiful reality um, and story that I speak a lot about because I love these characters. If I was ever smart enough to write a book, it would be titled like Father, Like Son, and it would be the relationship with David and Solomon. Maybe one day, look at 1 Kings chapter 2. I told you to flip your Bible. I told you to have your tassel there. I want you to see it. As I said, this is not a family parenting series that we're in. I just see it very clearly as all of us are children of the Lord. So you hear me speak of it a lot. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, understand the context. Um, David, the king, is about to die. He is king. He has a lot on his plate. He has a lot of land and a lot of money and a lot of staff. And he has a lot of good and bad. He has a lot of headaches. And a lot of people want to kill him. And a lot of people want to love him. And he's about to leave this earth. He's in his hospital bed. His son Solomon is sitting by him. At this time, he's anywhere between 18, 19 years old, approximately believed. And his old man is leaving the earth. Everything about is about to be given to him. And listen to what transpires. It says, now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Will you highlight that? Just highlight it. Let's slow the moment down. His, his, his father, the king, is about to die. And not only is his father dying, but he knows all of the life that is about to flood his existence, right? And what does his father say to him? Can you imagine? <laughs> what do I do, Dad? Be a man. Be a man. What would you say after? He says, how? How? How do I prove myself a man? And what does his father say in verse 3? Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. Keep highlighting as it is written in the law of Moses. And so understand, if, if I'm king in, a, in an earthly way and I'm looking at my son, London, and he's going, hey, dad, what do I do? I'm going, hey, listen, um, this is next in command. This is how you use an Excel sheet. This is the woman to call if you have staff problems. Like, like I'm doing all that kind of stuff, right? And what does he do? He points towards, he points towards, he says, listen, more than staff and more than money and more than armies and more than wars, more than anything, be faithful to how God tells us to live, that you may prosper in all that you do. He says, be faithful, be honest, be wise, be obedient, be knowledgeable, 
in the things of the Lord so that you may prosper in all that you do. And wherever you turn, and the Lord may fulfill his word in which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons, this is what Austin read, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth and in all of their heart and with all of their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. It's a beautiful picture of parental discipleship. Prove yourself a man. Dad, how in the world do I do that? How do I do this, Mom? How do I do this, Pastor? How do I do this, neighbor? Keep God first. But you don't understand. I'm about to be king. I'm about to have staff. I'm about to be in war. I got a million dollar budget. Keep God first. This is a word that I want you to write that is simple but true. Just because you are saved does not mean you know how to live. Great job, Celia. Just because you are saved does not mean you know how to live. We need discipleship. I need discipleship. My children need discipleship. We need to mature. Solomon, as his father passed away, was son of the king. He still did not know how to live. And here's a hard truth that you need to grasp in humility. Many of you were saved long ago, but we still struggle in those areas that we need to mature in. We've lacked discipleship. We've lacked discipleship. Yes, the book of the covenant is old law, hard to understand. It's God building a community that you don't live in. Is teaching former slaves to be free men, but it is also the model of discipleship. Teaching others how to grow in a prosperous, faithful, blessed life in fulfillment and obedience to what God says is good and true. And so I want you to read this. This is what I said to Miss Sue. Miss Sue, I want you to read chapter 22 again in the eyes of a father. Look back at Exodus. Look back at Exodus and you can see this. Listen to my words. And imagine someone who loves you saying this. Imagine you speaking to your children about this. Imagine from the perspective of discipleship. Look at 20 where we left off. He who sacrifices to any God except to the Lord only, he shall utterly be destroyed. Did anybody walk with you in that after salvation? Did anybody, we're not talking about just parents. Did anyone ever sit with you after salvation and look at you and go, hey, listen, man, everything in life is important, but nothing else matters. Yes, your money's important. Like, yes, Friday night football is important. Like, yes, have fun, enjoy. Yes, yes, yes. Nothing else matters, son. Any of your fathers sit with you? Any of your fathers or your mothers or your friends, did anyone sit with you and go, listen, as you go out into this world, you're going to be pulled into a lot of directions and you're going to chase things. But if you put anything ahead of God, it is going to sink you. Did anyone say that to you? 
So this isn't just simply Old Testament law. This is the greatest form of discipleship with someone who cares about you. It's discipleship. It's maturing. And now what he's doing is he's growing his kids strong so that they can be faithful in what they were called to do. Look at 21 through 25. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt yourself. You shall not afflict any widow or the fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry out at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot. And I will kill you with the sword and your wife shall be widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. And so just like the earthly example in 1 Kings, David points Solomon to Exodus, the book of the covenant. Son, you are a child of the king. You are free. And now your freedom has made you special. Bless others with it. You have a purpose here from the heavenly to the earthly example. It is the same message of God speaking to the Israelites. You are mine. You are special David speaking, the son, you are mine, you are special. The Lord Christ to you and I, you are mine, you are special. You are freed and you are in need of maturing so that you can do my work. You can do my work. For so many of us, we have not served the kingdom, been on mission, discipled others because of the lack of discipleship for you and I. That we've experienced. We don't know how to disciple others. Because we ourselves have not been discipled. And so we look at others that have. And go man I wish I had that father. Who walked with me. You see that in all the verses. In all the texts that we just read through. As complicated as they were. In verse 1. If you steal and you're dishonest. It's going to cost you more than what you initially even wanted. It's good for our people to understand this. If you take, if it is a woman, if it is a thing, if it is a no, whatever it is that you take from someone else, there's going to be consequences. In verse 6, God teaches responsibility and ownership. In verse 16, for my young people, sex is for marriage. And what you see in discipleship, God the Father even chooses to walk in the uncomfortable conversations because that is what true discipleship is. True discipleship says, I'm not going to just talk to you about the things that are comfortable, but true discipleship says, I'm going to go into the spaces that no one desires to go into. Verse 20, worshiping anything before God will hurt you. It's perfect parenting. It's a perfect father. It's in the investment, the intentionality, and the interest. Discipleship at its best. It's not a sermon, but he's walking with these people. And so what we see is we start to slowly come in. What we see, what discipleship does, discipleship keeps us in the presence of our salvation. And so for those that are scared to walk with somebody and have coffee with somebody and speak about the Lord with somebody, when you choose to do such a thing, when you say, I'm going to care about every aspect of fill in the blanks life, 
And I'm going to walk into the spaces that are uncomfortable. What discipleship does, it puts us in the presence of constant views of our salvation. It grows us in righteousness. And that's what we see in sanctification. It grows us in wisdom and faith and fulfillment. And we prosper. And it prepares us to do the best we can for others to love them well. That's what we see God do. And so as we close, understand we can never hear enough. God saves. And He saves only through what Jesus Christ accomplished. That we cannot confuse our freedom and where it comes from. Salvation is, as we quote Wednesday night a few weeks ago, salvation is, I have heard the gospel. I have placed my faith and trust in the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, through Paul's mouth and Peter and Acts that we read, Jesus Christ came, he died, he rose for you and I. Not by mistake, his purpose, way before the beginning of the earth. And I placed my belief and my need and my want, but we cannot stop there. We cannot stop with salvation. We have to commit to discipleship. We have a perfect Father who is poured into us so that we can pour into others. Just because you are free, just because you are saved, does not mean you know how to live. And so today, the way that we have been blessed as a church and people, we have been blessed more than David. We have been blessed more than Solomon. David pointed his son to Exodus. You and I have been blessed greater than no man. Greater than known, we have been blessed in a way that we don't point to Exodus. We don't point to Moses. We point to the finished work of Jesus Christ, the one who came to fulfill and to hold up the law that you and I could never do so. And so now we are called to be pointers of the absolute truth, much like David. And so I want to challenge you here. This is where we're going to end. We're going to make it applicable. I want to challenge you here. Parents. David was a great father because he simply pointed to the perfect father. And first, I talk to so many people and they go, hey, Hunter, listen, I get it. I know. I understand. I'm challenged, but I can't say it like you can say it. I don't understand it like you can. It is not a strength of mine. God spent chapters doing this. You are not God. David is not God. David took verses. You know why? Because he's not the Lord. And what did David say? Do you know how you prove yourself a man? And he pointed to the perfect father. And so for you and I, if you are not confident, if you go, man, this is not something that I'm strong in. This is not something I feel comfortable with. Sit with those you love and point them to the one who is comfortable. Point them to the one who is absolute. Point them to the one who is never tired or exaggerated. Point them to the one who is always interested and invested. So here's my challenge. Write it down. And kids, let's speak to our parents about it. Starting today, have a moment where you sit with those you love and you read the book, any book of the gospel. I encourage you to read John. And go, you know what we're going to do? I'm not going to preach to you. 
I'm going to talk with you. We're going to study together, but we're going to read the life of Jesus. That's what we're going to do together. And then we're going to talk about what stands out. And son, daughter, I don't have all the answers. Friend, I don't have all the answers. But we are going to read about the one who does. We can all do that. Individual. Rego Hunter, I'm a grandparent. I'm a child who has a parent that is not going to do this. I am an adult that don't have child. Like, I'm, a situ- I'm a person who am not going to have an opportunity in my home to do such a thing. The good news is you still have the access to be discipled yourself by the perfect parent. And so this is not just for people who have children. We need to be doing this as individuals to grow in wisdom and faith and obedience under the discipleship of the perfect father. Lastly, embrace the need to mature. Humbly present yourself. Embrace the need to mature. You need God's word and you need it daily. You need to find someone. We have a church full. And like I said, I know there's a lot of parental um, examples, but this also has to do with friends. I need to sit with people. I need to sit with people. You need to sit with people. And so find someone in the church, find someone in your life and go, hey, can I have coffee with you? Can I just sit with you? Can I just talk to you about life? Find someone who is invested, who knows the Lord, maybe a little further in the walk than you and sit under them. Because there is more than being saved and saving others. There's the maturity and faithfulness. Do not be overwhelmed with trying to be perfect. Point to the one who obviously is. Let's bow our head. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the blessings of a perfect father. Lord, the only thing that has healed me in taking that longing away from me, the only thing that has made me content And what I was missing in a father is focusing my attention on the father that I have in you. That you have discipled me greater than any man has discipled me. Your word has walked with me when no one else would. And so, Lord, I pray that from what I've learned through your perfection, what I have learned from embracing and and focused on my salvation and my freedom... I pray that I am faithful pouring that into the lives of others. Lord, we have a desperate need of discipleship within the church, this country, this world. Men and women that are saved, but now committed to being invested and intentional and interested in every aspect of life of others. Lord, if we lack wisdom, let us walk with those who are wise. If we lack faith, let us walk with those who are faithful. If we lack knowledge, let us walk with those who are knowledgeable. If we're not obedient, let us walk with those who show great obedience. Lord, present the opportunity. Raise these leaders up. Because not only was God raising these people to live, they were raising these people to lead. Let us lead in maturing and discipling in the remembrance of our freedom and salvation. In your precious and holy name, amen.